y'all can go ahead and turn. I'm going to start in Acts 5. So I kind of went a little different direction with, with some of this than I was planning. But today I want to talk to you about priorities. We're going to start out by talking about some priorities. We're going to talk about the Super Bowl. We're going to talk about death. And I'll tell you where to go and where you can stay. I got three stays for you. So we'll start out by talking about your priorities. So just a simple question. What's your priority in life on a daily basis? Start to think about that. What are your priorities? Because really, when I think of it, oh, it was Jackie that said it to me Wednesday night. If you make up your mind, you want, if you want something, you'll do it. You'll get it. You'll make it happen. So what are your priorities? Is it your priority to hear God's voice? Is it your priority to be in church? Is it your priority to be more generous? Is it your priority to, what is it? To find your DOC. What, I mean, what's your priority? Because you're going to make it happen. DOC is drug of choice. <laughs> like You're going to find it, what you're looking for. Seek and you shall find that's good things or bad things. So what's your priority? Be honest. Don't yell it out. Just be honest in your own head. Be real with yourself. That's a good place to start. So I heard about this guy that he was super happy because he'd been wanting to go to the Super Bowl forever. And he finally saved up enough money for a ticket where he could get in, get in the Super Bowl. And uh, it was a you know, third-level nosebleed seat, still super expensive. But he got in, and as he was going up to his seat, he noticed there was a seat open down on the 50-yard line on the first level. He kept his eye on it, and nobody sat in it. He went out to go to the bathroom, came back in, took a look. Yep, still open. First quarter started, that seat's still open. He said, man, I'm just going to walk down there and act like I know what I'm doing, and I'm going to sit in that seat. So he did. He went and sat down, and old fella sitting in the seat right next to him said, that's not your seat. That's my seat. And he was like, ah, busted. Um, well, I just, no one was sitting in, in it, and he said, uh, that's my wife's seat. We've been going to Super Bowls since the 60s. We hadn't missed a year. I've been blessed to have a good company, and we've had money, and so me and her have had these great seats for the Super Bowl every single year for all these years. And, and he said, well, where's your wife? And he said, she passed away last week, a few days ago. And the guy's like, oh, man. And you had this Super Bowl ticket seat. Don't you have any friends or family or anybody close that you could have given it to? And he said, no, they're all at the funeral. What's your priority? I mean, what's more important to you? <laughs> you his was obviously the Super Bowl. I don't. What's your priority? I heard that um, Shaq is throwing a, an awesome Super Bowl party and they're raising money for the victims of the helicopter crash with Kobe. And, uh, and at Shaq's Super Bowl party, 
uh, it's going to feature, the first time ever, no one's ever done this that we know of, it's going to feature a fondue fountain, this giant fountain, right? Y'all have seen those, and sometimes they make a chocolate fountain or cheese, stuff like that. No. Shaq's is a giant fondue fountain full of Papa John's garlic sauce that you can walk up and hold your slice of pizza under. (laughs) Pretty slick. Dude didn't get that big for not knowing how to eat. (laughs) What's your priority? Maybe your priority is food. I can tell. (laughs) Some of y'all thinking maybe his is. So it's 0202-2020, which can also be read backwards. 0202-2020. It's Super Bowl Sunday, which most of you know, hence the Super Bowl jokes. It's also Groundhog's Day. What does all that mean? I have no idea. I just thought I'd let you know. But as we start February... And as I sit and think, we're already one-twelfth of the way through 2020. Like, it seems like it just started. We all got resolutions and things that are going to change, and some of us are going to change our jobs, and some of us are going to change our health patterns, and some of us are going to get involved in ministry, and some of us are going to be more generous, and, and some of we've all, it's a great time to change in January. Guess what? We're already a twelfth of the way through. Life's fast. It goes really fast. Your priorities matter. Before you know it, it'll be 2021. And the patterns and habits that you set up, they're taking you somewhere. They'll change you for better or worse. In sickness and in health. So how are you doing? I'm going to give you three stays. I'll call it three stays. For when things are good and when things are bad, they work. For when you're on the mountain and when you can see a long ways off and when you're in the valley. Even in the valley of the shadow of death. In death's valley, as the Message Bible says it. These three stays work there too. In hard times. But I must warn you. It's much harder to do these three things in the valley. Than it is on the mountain. It's a lot harder to do these three things in the storm. Right? It's a lot harder to do these three things in the middle of your depression. It's a lot harder to do these three things in the middle of a hard time. In the middle of pain in the middle of whatever you're going through something unexpected have you been in a hard place this year yet it's only been a month maybe some of you already have I know you have well because that's life stuff happens hard things happen Loss happens, pain happens, sickness happens, addiction happens, all these things. Stuff happens. 
we go through hard times. So maybe you've been there already this year, and maybe not yet, but we know it's coming. I heard this guy was going through a really hard time, and, and he got a text, and it said, I'm here for you. And so the guy sends back thanks with the crying face emoji and says, it's been really hard. You know, my life's just falling apart lately, and I don't know if I can make it. In fact, I felt like no one even cared before you sent this text. And he said, I'm, I'm embarrassed to even send this, but in all of my loss, I lost all my contacts when I lost my phone, so who is this? And you know how you get the little bubbles when somebody's typing a text, and then it disappeared, and then the bubbles, and it disappeared, and finally the text comes through, and it says, this is your Uber driver. I'm here for you. <laughs> Do you have people you can lean on? Like, when life gets hard, when things get real, who's there? Who do you got? You got a friend? Anybody? In hard times, do you fall apart? Or do you build? Do you get stronger? Or do you get weaker? Do the hard things in life break you down and leave you broken? Or do they make you stronger? Do they give you more? Stories? Do they give you more testimony? Do they, do they build you up or break you down? Do they make you bitter or better? They can do either. So the first one, the first one of the stays is stay active. You got to stay active. See, this gospel is activated by serving and giving and loving. That's what the gospel is. The gospel, the good news. You got to stay active. Look at Acts 5.40. Acts 5.40. We won't read the whole story. Go back and read the whole chapter 5, but they're in court. Right, and the apostles, they're preaching Jesus and they're building the New Testament church and they're in court and basically the people in the court are trying to scare them and telling them about these other guys that had come before them and said they were the Messiah and they ran them out of town, chopped their heads off, did all kind of stuff to them and they're warning them. They're trying to scare the apostles and look, in verse 40 says this, and to him they agreed and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus. And then they let them go. So they called these dudes in and beat them, whipped them, ripped their backs open, tortured them, beat them, and then told them, now, don't you ever speak in the name of Jesus again. And they let them go. Verse 41 says, 
And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. <laughs> that hurt. Oh, man, hurt like crazy. They must think we're a threat. Yes. We're doing something right, boys. They're scared of us. They were rejoicing. They were happy that they were worthy of the persecution. They were happy that they got tortured. They were mentally ill, some would say. Right? These dudes just got beat. Their backs are probably barely scabbed over. They got beat, and the next day they threw them out. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Wait a minute. Y'all were just beaten and told not to do that. They didn't even take a break. It said daily. They were in the temple. That was the church. And they were house to house. Man, I ain't waiting until Sunday. I'm going to preach from house to house. I'm going to get a couple small groups going. Man, I'm going to come to warrior training and men's Bible study. And, I'm, and there ain't nothing going on tonight. I'm going to somebody's house to eat bread. And I'm going to talk about Jesus there too. It's almost like it poured fuel on the fire. These dudes were now, they're preaching every day in church and in houses. And so it said they went away, went away rejoicing. And sometimes words are translated wrong in the King James. You know, it was originally written in Greek. So I looked it up and thought maybe that word rejoicing means something different than I thought it means. Here's what it means. To rejoice, to be glad, delighted, joy, joyful, or joying to the point that joy seems to exude from your being. Nope. It doesn't mean something different than I thought. They were happy about getting beat. They were happy about a hard time coming. That's kind of hard to wrap your mind around. They were thankful for torture. Think about the illustration they had. Man, as a pastor, I'm always looking for illustrations. One of these dudes, now they had illustrations, some big nasty looking scars on their backs. Said they were going house to house. Imagine them knocking on the first house. Hey, we'd like to talk to you. I don't want to hear what you got to say. Ah, check this out. <laughs> Pull up their shirt a little bit. Get a foot in the door. These guys were thankful. They were using it as a testimony, as a story. Paul said, I counted all joy. Various trials and all these bad things and good things, and I just counted all joy. They could have quit. They could have took some time off to heal. That would be the sensible thing to do. In fact, we would probably advise them to do that. And my counselor told me to take some time off and heal. Take a step back, right? Like that would be sensible. That, I wouldn't argue with that. I need to take some time off. Well, you were just thrown into prison and tortured. Okay. You can have a couple weeks off from teaching kids space. Well, it's okay. They could have taken some time off. They didn't. No one would have blamed them. But what happened? They found the good in the torture. 
and they used it for God. They used it as fuel. They used it as a testimony. They, they were thankful in a bad, ugly thing that they were wrongfully accused of. They figured out how to be thankful and they used it for God. One thing I've found is that if you use your past, it loses its power. It no longer has the power to use and abuse you. If you can use your past to glorify God and you can look back and point to your scars and say, here's how God used it. Here's how I grew. Here's where he took me through that. Here's, here's what I, I see the hand of God. It loses its power to use you. It loses its power to control you. Can you thank God for your past? Are there areas in your past that you can't thank God for yet? Then you need healing in those areas. That's an indicator that you're not healed. If you can't look at it and thank God for it, then there's some healing that needs to take place. That's how you will see the power. Look what James, Jesus' brother, had to say in James 2, 17. Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. So James says that a faith without works is dead. Faith where you never do anything and you never love and give and serve and you don't walk in your purpose and you don't obey God and you have a faith, I'm saved, I have salvation, but there are no works. James said that's a dead faith. I should be able to look at your life and see what you believe. Stay active. Do something. I'm in a season of waiting. There's always something you're supposed to be doing. Don't use that as an excuse, as a cop-out. I'm in a season of waiting. The waiting. Looking for God. We gather. We wait. We hope. We look. We give. We serve. I find it interesting because a lot of people tell me, well, I'm in a season of this. I'm in a, a season of waiting. I'm in a season of drought. I'm in a season of what? You don't choose the seasons. It's like, I don't choose it to be winter. So first of all, if the season is of your choosing, like you're choosing to wait and not do what God's called you to do, then that's not a season. That's a choice. A season. I need time to heal. Together we heal. By serving we heal. By walking in purpose we heal. 
When we see Jesus broken at his hardest point, when he finds out that his cousin, the closest person on earth to him, died, and he's stressed out, and he's broken, and he goes into that boat, and he's just upset, and he lets it out, and he mourns. But then when the boat comes close to the shore, he sees all these people that have gathered, and the Bible tells us that his heart was filled with compassion, and he composed himself, and he stepped out of the boat and into his purpose. It's what he was called to do. That's how we heal. In relationship. Stepping into our purpose. We don't heal by just dropping everything. Together we heal. It's one of the spots I was going to go a little deeper, but we're going to move on to number two. In the interest of time, number two. Actually, I already kind of started on number two. Number two is, first, stay active. Second, stay together or connected. Stay together or connected. See, I already started that with the together we heal. Look at Acts 2. Acts 2, 44. The early church, after Jesus died and fixed our relationship, and, and the church was thriving Growing like crazy. The gospel was reaching all over the, the world. Verse 20. Wait a minute. For some reason I turned to Hebrews. Acts 2, 44. And all that, were, and all that believed were together. All that believed were together. And had all things in common. That unity. They were one. They weren't all the same. They didn't all look the same, act the same. They weren't all the same. They had unity. They were together. And they sold their possessions and goods. And they parted them to all men. Why? Because they realized in unity and together that stuff doesn't matter. People do. Stuff doesn't matter. Relationships do. Building the kingdom matters more than me and my stuff and my little, what I can build for myself. Am I going to build a dynasty or a legacy? They sold all their possessions and goods and parted them out to all men as every man had need. If I got food and you don't have food, you have food. If we're properly connected... But if we're not connected, I don't know when you're hungry. Right? If we're not connected, you don't know when I'm struggling. I don't know when you're struggling because we're not in relationship. Deep relationship. As every man hath need, and they continuing daily. It wasn't just an every once in a while thing. With one accord. In the temple. It's at church. And breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat. Sorry, vegetarians. The Bible says we got to eat our meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. Hebrews 10, 24. And let us consider one another 
to provoke unto love and to good works. Consider each other. He's saying, the writer of Hebrews is saying here, provoke each other to love. Right? Provoke each other to do good works, to do good things, to love. In verse 25, not forsaking the assembling. Assembling is more than just being gathered. We've looked at that before like a puzzle. You can, they're all gathered in a box, but when they're assembled, you can see the picture. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. And then I think this next line is a little bit, I think it's funny because it's kind of passive aggressive. As the manner of some is. Like, don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. This will be more and more important as time goes on. Assemble yourselves. He said, more and more as you see the day approaching. It's going to become more and more important as time goes on. you got to get this figured out. You must assemble yourself. Can I tell you that you will rise or fall to the level of the people that you are around? You will. People that you choose to be in close relationship with and the people that you choose to hang out with and and spend your time and your money on and pour into, do life with, you will rise or fall to the level of the people that you surround yourself with. And I'm just looking for a godly man. Really? Where are you looking? Tinder? Facebook? Like, in the club at 3 a.m.? He probably ain't there. What would you say if you walked out of church and there's a little mud puddle out here on the way to the playground and somebody was sitting there with a giant deep sea fishing rod and their line was going down in the mud puddle and you said, what the heck are you doing, dude? And he said, fishing for great white sharks. Probably look at him and say, you're an idiot. There are no great white sharks in the mud puddle. Piece of advice, he, he may not be in the mud puddle. <laughs> what you're looking for, check your pond. Look at somebody and say, check your pond. <laughs> Ain't no marlins in there. All right. <laughs> Back on track here. Remember where I was. Stay together. Stay connected. It's so important. The people that you choose to connect to that that you hook up with, your relationships, they'll make you or break you. They really will. No, Ecclesiastes 4, 9, I like how the Message Bible words it. It says it like this. It's better to have a partner than to go it alone. Share the work, share the wealth. And if one falls down, the other helps. But if there's no one to help, tough. Two in bed, two in a bed warm each other. Alone, you shiver all night. By, your, by yourself, 
you're unprotected. With a friend, you can face the worst. Can you round up a third? Say, if you got a friend, you can face the worst. But can you round up a third? Remember, this is where King James words it, uh, three-stranded rope. It's not easily broken. A three-stranded rope isn't easily snapped. So how easy do you snap? How easy do you fall apart? How easy do you lose it? Maybe an indicator that you don't have good relationships. Maybe an indicator that you've pushed people away. Because a three-stranded rope is not easily snapped. It doesn't just snap. It takes a lot. It can be. You can get pushed to that point. We all can. But if you snap easy... good indicator that you may need to check your relationships lean on me as your pastor I want to put every opportunity in front of you to not be a victim in the valley so that you don't have to be a victim in hard times or in loss or in pain or you don't have to to not be a victim in the valley You know that you're a community being. Genesis 2.18 is when God's looking at all of creation and, and God's saying like everything was good and the plants and animals and everything's good and God looks at man, he looks at Adam and he says, it's the first time we have recorded that God said something was not good. It's when he looked at man and he said, it is not good that man should dwell alone. It ain't good for him to be by himself. It's not good. And then God created a helpmate God created woman we know the story but it's not good for a man to be alone you know when you're alone especially in a hard time and a bad time when you're alone you can get a little crazy if you'll admit it if you think about it you're alone you can get sad depressed And isn't it amazing how you can just start making stuff up? And then you believe it because you believe you. You believe you more than anybody in the world. You can talk yourself into anything. And if you told it to yourself, then you obviously believe it, so you're going to believe whatever yourself said. I'd argue with myself about that this morning. And I won the argument because I believe me. Every time I believe what I believe, that can change. But you believe you. When you get alone and you get disconnected, things get distorted. You start believing wrong things. You convince yourself of some things that aren't even true. You convince yourself that I have nobody. There's nobody around. Like, like you text your best friend and they don't answer back. Maybe they're just busy. Maybe they're going through a hard time. Maybe they broke their phone. No, they don't answer back. 
I thought they were my best friend. I, I guess I have no one. That was the best I got, and they can't even answer me back. In fact, now that I think about it, no one ever answers me back. Am I just not important? Every time I try to call somebody, they don't answer. My, I get sent straight to voicemail. Nobody answers me back. Does anybody even know I'm here? When you're unconnected, disconnected, things get distorted. A wind that could take your fire to the next level blows you out. Why? Because you're like a candle. Look, check this out. All right, y'all see this candle I just lit? We know that the Holy Spirit is like a fire. And, and we come in here to church and we get lit. Right? That's my plan. Right? Thanks for the crickets. We come in here and, and God is the light. Came to light every man. He's the light that's on the inside of us. And we're told in the Gospels to shine. To shine our light, that we're light and we're salt. And don't hide it under a bushel. And so this is the fire and this is a lot of us. Right? But when a storm comes or a hard wind comes, or you know, when Monday morning when your boss is a jerk and said, You're just a screw up waiting to happen. I had a boss say that to me before, that's why it popped in my head. You know what happens if you're a candle? Oh, God, I can't wait till next Sunday. Pastor Dusty's going to light my fire again, but I've lost my passion for this week. Ain't too much shining going on here. But do you know if there's a fire going? Like if I've got a big bonfire going, burning up some old pallets from beside my pig pen, and a big gust of wind comes, you know what it does? It doesn't put the fire out. It makes it bigger. It makes it hotter. It consumes more. It can be seen from further away. It's, it's more impressive. More wind, bigger the fire. What's the difference? There's no wood on the candle. It didn't have any wood. Guess what? Relationships are the wood on your life. That's how you keep the fire going. You come in here on Sundays, and I can light your fire. I'm putting out the Holy Spirit, hopefully. If not, find somewhere else. Leave me. But I can light your fire with the Holy Spirit. But the first good gust of wind is going to put it out if all you are is a candle, a loner, 
a candle with no relationships that when hard times come, you got nobody to lean on. There's no fire. There's no one to encourage you. There's no one to give you faith. There's no one to share their hope. There's no one in your life that you can lean on, that you can call, that you can rely on, that you can go to for a Bible study or for some worship during the week. Like, you can't just get it once a week without relationships. You can, but you're a candle. So then when something hard comes up in your life, when a trial comes, when, when an addiction comes, when a loved one dies, when your wife leaves you, when whatever, it blows out your fire. You got no witness. You got no light. There's nothing to shine. It's so hard to make it through and you're just desperate for somebody to light your flame. Got a light I don't want to be the kind of Christian that's wandering around by Thursday, Friday, Saturday, every week looking for, hey, mister, you got a light? My fire's blown out because I didn't have any wood. Relationships are the wood. I can light your candle every Sunday. But life in the valley, storms and wind and rain, they're going to put it out. I got to thinking about how the Holy Spirit, all throughout Scripture, if you do a study on the Holy Spirit, it can be fire. There's all different references where Holy Spirit can be fire. Where even the first time we see the Holy, the Holy Spirit in Acts, when, when He came in, it says it was as cloven tongues of fire sitting on their heads, little pieces of fire those before they had hairspray and then uh the holy spirit is likened unto fire god when he came to speak to moses about setting the people free he was in a burning bush all these references to holy spirit being fire which is what i just talked about lighting your candle and being that light that gets bigger and then the other meanings of the word of holy spirit is wind of god breath of god the creative breath that's all holy spirit it's all the same word wind breath so if I'm up here and I've heard God's voice and I'm speaking by the Holy Spirit for some of you in the room you're just getting your candle lit but for those of you that came in lit for those of you that are we'll call you pre-lit you came in pre-lit then what I'm doing up here is blowing So I'm making your fire bigger. So some people can come into a gathering like this and they can walk out like a raging inferno, just, just on fire. Nothing could put them out. Then they could walk out the door and have a tragedy happen in the parking lot and it wouldn't put them out. Why? Because they came in pre-lit. Because they're connected. Because they're giving and serving and loving and they're walking in purpose and they're in community and in relationship and they're committed. Their priority is to do what God has called them to do. And some people will just get their candle lit and get their candle lit and never truly walk in the freedom or be the light that God has placed inside of them. Holy Spirit can be wind or fire. If you're properly connected, 
and you decide to go crazy, it'll be very hard. Right? Man, I've, I've got so many relationships set up in my life, starting with my wife and the friends that I surround myself with and the things that I do every week and the people that call me and text me and look in on me and check on me and ask me hard questions. And, like, I've surrounded myself with so many relationships that if I decided to act like an idiot this week and go crazy and go out and just do some stuff that a pastor shouldn't do, it'd be real hard for me. I'd be caught quick. I set it up that way. That's called wisdom. It would be hard for me to go crazy. Too much accountability. Relationships. This morning when I was writing this part of the message and kind of going a different direction, um, Pastor Bruce sent me a message talking about some stuff that they want to do with us this coming year coming up this year and uh he said in the text i just thought it was cool because of this that i was writing he said definitely need to get together with our people soon because me and pastor bruce get together and we do the once a month affiliate lunch and we get together and we do things and we speak but it was funny that in his text said we definitely need to get together with our people soon Let's do, and he's proposing that we do a, a men's retreat and a worship night and some different things that we're talking about. So I'll, I'll let you know if you're invited. <laughs> you will be when we nail it down, most of you. I don't know about all the candles, but I'm just kidding. It's so important to connect. Together we heal. Together we grow. In brotherhood we rise. Number three, let's end it. Number three, stay focused. You gotta stay focused. So stay, stay active, stay together, and stay focused. See, my word for this year, we do the one word thing. There's a book about it, but you pick a word and we did it with the leadership. You pick a word. And so the word that God gave me this year was focus. So I've been thinking a lot about focus and, and just working on focus. And it's weird how when you pick one word and you think about it and you let God speak to you about it and every single day you think about that word and what it means to you, how often it pops up and how many things it applies to and how much God will just kind of use that. So... I encourage you to do that. Pray about it. Let God give you a word. And then this whole entire year, every day, just think about that one word. Let God speak to you and, and see how much it speaks to you. But So mine for this year is focus. So I've been thinking a lot about focus and studying about focus. And I think that's huge. It's a huge key. How to make it through hard times, make it through the valley. Like we got to stay focused. I'm, I'm going to read you Ephesians 1. Three. We'll talk a little bit about focus and we'll be done. I'm going to read it to you in the Message Bible. Paul wrote this to the church at Ephesus. How blessed is God and what a blessing is He. 
He's the father of our master, Jesus Christ, and takes us to the high places of blessing in him. Long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind, had settled on us as the focus of his love. To be made whole and holy by his love. That's the purpose. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift giving by the hand of his beloved son. He settled on us as the focus. Any target that's worth hitting, you must focus. And somebody that just left Golden Corral with a stuffed full belly and is going out deer hunting for fun, they may not be that focused. But a man that has no money, no groceries, and a house full of starving kids that's going out with his gun and three bullets, he's going to be a little more focused on getting a deer and if he can't get a deer he might get a dog or something why? because he's hungry the people he loves are hungry they're counting on him he's focused but if a target's worth hitting you must focus now, speaking of the focusing y'all know Daniel had a mockingbird at like what is 700 yards or something <laughs> oh 740 excuse me don't steal them 40. <laughs> Guess what? To hit something that far away, you better be focused. You may have to control your breath. You may have to adjust. You better be focused. How important is focus? makes a difference in a win or a loss perspective to me focus equals discipline it's just a discipline what am I going to focus on I, mean, I could stand here and say to you all day that I'm focused on a six pack of abs but if I'm not disciplined that's not focus it's a wish I'm not really focused on it. So when you focus on something, everything else gets blurry. Think about that. Like if I'm aiming at a target and I'm focusing on that target, everything else kind of just gets blurry. Other stuff doesn't really matter. There's only the thing I'm focusing on, that's what matters most. This other stuff out here, I'm not paying attention to. I'm focused. Everything else gets blurry. And if the target moves, you got to refocus. I mean, you can't just tell me you were focused one time back in 1982. I've remained focused ever since. I hate to tell you, bud, but the target probably moved since then. In obedience, you must refocus. How often do I got to refocus every time it moves? Well, 
Where's it going to move to? I don't know. That's trust and obedience and faith. If you knew, you wouldn't need to focus. If I could lay it all out and hand you a map. But you got to refocus. might look different next time. we got to refocus. Sometimes the target moves. Some of us are running through life with a sawed-off shotgun. And I'm telling you today, it's time to get a sniper rifle. That shotgun is effective, but it's messy. And you have to get real close to the situation. And it hurts a lot of things around. There's a lot of collateral damage. Whereas a sniper has great reach. Sniper's clean. Sniper fulfills his purpose. No danger to himself or anyone around. Why? Focus. Focus. I don't want to run through life with a sawed-off shotgun. I want to be the sniper. I don't want to hurt innocent people around. A sniper is clean, effective, and has great reach. You can see an issue from far away and hit it in the heart. And the people around you are safe. They don't get hit. In fact, they may never even see it. Because you took care of it before it got home. Think about sunlight. All the sun rays that come down and they feel good on your skin and it's great and they're all there. You walk outside, hopefully the sun's shining. Had plenty of cold and rain lately. I think the sun's supposed to be out today. So those sun rays coming down, they're great. But if I take a magnifying glass and hold it just the right way and focus a bunch of those rays into one, I can catch an ant on fire. What was already there and at my fingertips, all those rays that I somewhat enjoyed and I liked having them around, by focus, I can make it fire. Focus makes it powerful. What's in your hand? Oh, I need more money. I need this. I need that. I need a better education. I need... Maybe you just need to focus. If you would focus what you have, if you would focus what's around you. God asked Moses, what's in your hand? Not go get something. Like, what do you have? Focus. What was little becomes much. What was weak becomes powerful. With focus. Seemed like death kept coming up a lot this week. Now, uh, last Sunday we we heard about the helicopter crash and Kobe Bryant died and all the people in the helicopter and his daughter and the pilot and all that. And um, a lot of you know my cousin Lonnie's been in ICU and really not doing good. And they were talking about him not making it last week, so I got the chance to sit with him couple different times, a couple hours on Wednesday, I think, um, 
and just sit and talk to him as he's kind of in and out and not knowing. And so that puts death on your mind. And he's saying things about heaven and some crazy things and some things I don't know. Is he seeing things I don't see? Is he like, it's a weird place. But either way, gets my mind thinking along these lines. And um, Jackie's sister had passed away and went to the went to the funeral and that had me thinking about it. And then this guy that I'm friends with named Jeff, he just said out of the blue, he sends me a text and said, hey, hey brother, I was praying for you and I saw this video. I don't know why, but I sent it to you. It was a guy speaking at a funeral. So I, don't know, I was really just praying and thinking about all these things and maybe more of a a message to come about it. But one major thing, it reminds me to focus on the things that matter, on things that will last. Because you don't know when it's over. Nobody expects. Like you don't, you have no idea it could end. So focus on the things that matter, on the things that will last. then other things will get blurry. But if I focus on the wrong things, then what really matters gets blurry. That's what I think we do a lot of times. And we'll get focused on a, on a career. We'll get focused on selfishness. We'll get focused on a drug. We'll get focused on, you name it, something that doesn't really matter. And then the things that do really matter get blurry. Because your focus is in the wrong spot. Focus on my new truck. How I'm going to get it. What jobs I can do to come up with it. Does that really matter? No. And then the harder I focus on it, the other things that do matter get blurry. So distance creates distortion you know how like when you're riding down the road and you see uh, like a sign off in the distance and you can see the lights but you can't really tell what it is and like if you're hungry and you're looking for a restaurant to eat and you see a sign and you think yes there's a McDonald's and you get a little bit closer and realize dang it it was loves it was kind of the right colors but you couldn't see it. Why? Because you were too far away from it. Distance creates distortion. Like looking at a sign from far off, but as you get closer and closer, you realize what it was. That's why we as Christians should not judge someone that we're not close to. Jesus teaches us that. Don't judge somebody that's far away. Distance creates distortion. You don't know. You don't know what's going on, why they're making the choices they're making, what they've been through. Where the No, it's not what we're called to do. But in the same way that distance creates distortion, proximity brings perspective. That's why God says, draw near to me. Come in close. Draw near to me. 
and I'll draw near to you. I'll reveal myself to you. If you'll get close, why does God worry about us getting close? You know, we talked about this last week, like how does an omnipresent God that is everywhere, how does he say draw close? How do you draw close to something that's everywhere? That's what it's about. God's saying draw close to me. Why? So that there won't be distortion. When you look at me, you'll see me for who I am. You won't think I'm this angry, mad God that... You will look at me and see your loving Father. You'll look at me and see who I am. If you get close, but if you're looking at God from a distance, it gets distorted, right? It gets ugly. You see Him, it's not who He really is. You don't judge someone from far away, and you shouldn't judge God from far away. Prayer brings you close so that you know God without distortion. I think the problem is sometimes that we allow our experiences to shape our theology rather than letting your theology shape your experiences. Your theology, what you think about God, what you know about God, how you see God. Don't allow your experiences to shape your theology. Don't allow the valleys and the hard times and bad things you go through and trials to change or shape the way that you see God. Allow the way that you see God and the way that you know God and your relationship with Him to change the way you see trials, to change the way you see hard times. So stay active, stay together, and stay focused. Matthew 6, Jesus says, Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven. Focus on the kingdom of heaven. Seek ye first. And all these other things, all those blurry things, they'll be added unto you. But don't worry. It'll all work out. Focus. Let's pray. Hey, God, we want to be a blazing fire. And we don't want to be a, a people that's blown out every time the wind blows. We want to have strength. We want to grow. We want to move on from past hurts and pains and mistakes and, and look back on our life and say, man, I grew through that. Man, I became a better father. I became a better Mom, I became a better husband or wife or I became a better employee. I became a better boss. I, I grew through it. God, help us to connect. Help us to open up even when it's hard. Help us to stay active and do the things that you've told us to do. Help us to serve and give and love. Help us to share hope when we come in contact with somebody that doesn't have any God, we love you. It's a privilege and an honor to be called your sons and your daughters. In Jesus' name, amen.